Hello and welcome to a very spooky episode of K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. And I'm the late Kyle. Oh, very spooky. <laughs> uh, and this is the podcast with hot takes on cold viewings. Very cold very this cold. week. Beyond the grave <laughs> cold. Although uh, no no, no ghosts. actual ghosts in this yeah, episode. Neither of yeah. These. yeah, so uh, we'll, one of them, almost ghosts, but very explicitly, not ghosts, demons, different realm of expertise. This is like we'll a ghost, it's not a ghost, but it's like a ghost. Unfortunately, I'm out of my depth. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, so we've got, you know, one of our holiday favorite traditions, doing a double header. We've got two amazing movies that uh, follow our, our methodology and are very, very spooky and holiday appropriate. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that the, probably this is um, kind of sticking with our, our tradition uh, of intending to get two movies that are actually scary. But I would say that this movie, these two movies are pretty scary movies that we've got as a nice double feature. Yeah. Um, and further, what I would say, uh, before we even get into the titles, mm -hmm. is sticking with our trend of accidentally picking movies that are very similar in their themes. Mm. These are two movies about men trying to fend off an entity that they don't understand as it takes over the bodies of the people that they live with. Um, something undeniably weird is happening and they take place mostly indoors. Impressive. Yeah, no, I I was thinking about their differences a lot. Oh yeah. Just the, I mean, we'll talk about this, but one film explicitly shows nothing. Mm -hmm. And the other film shows everything. everything. And yeah, but that's interesting. They yeah. do, yeah, when you boil it down like that. And also even their opposites, it's like they're two sides of the same coin in some ways because it's like one movie was an extremely low budget film that mm. became incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's still the most successful film ever made in terms of uh, budget to gross. Gotcha, um, yeah, whereas, whereas the other film was a big budget flop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that. But um, before we get into the movies specifically, as you say, I wanted to talk a little bit about our background with horror movies because I think yeah. we both have explicitly said we're not scary movie people. Definitely not. So uh, that'll be interesting as we get into how we ended up watching both these movies, which mm -hmm. are legitimately scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of funny doing this episode that yeah, we're, neither of us are really into the whole like scary. Yeah spooky, jump, whatever, right. gory, none of that. Not really my bag, yeah. And I mean, I, I probably mentioned it on the podcast uh, in the past before, but like when I was younger, I was a major scaredy cat about movies, oh. which is fine because I was also not allowed to watch any of the, like <laughs> the two movies that we watch for this podcast would never in a million years have been allowed to watch as a child. Gotcha. Um, but even back then I was really fascinated with like when I would go to like the video store, like Blockbuster, mm -hmm. or the Dearly Departed Cinema One video in Gulf Breeze. Um, it was a local thing. It wasn't even a chain or anything like that. But like in the 90s especially, when you know, it was all still VHS, and so they had a lot of tapes that had probably been sitting there since the mid-80s, it was those the classic kind of hand painted VHS covers of uh, wow. or like the hand painted art from like the poster or whatever uh -huh. like the VHS cover art thing was still very active at that time, mm -hmm. and so passing by like the horror aisle, the boxes were always super sensational and really flashy, yeah. and so I, I I was too scared to really like look at them directly, but I always kind of like sneak a glance at these really like scary movie covers. It was it was a thing, you know, it was yeah. definitely a thing, and you know, so I my I, and I would kind of 
you know, test the waters a little bit when they would have older horror movies on TV around Halloween, like mm. AMC's Monster Fest was always, always like one of my favorite things oh, about yeah. Halloween time. So that was kind of like my soft entry into this genre that I'm still not a huge, huge fan of, but I've always kind of had that little bit of curiosity and fascination with it. Oh, I totally get that, because I'm, I'm similar. I mean, scary movies have always just stressed me out. I've had a couple friends who are very big into scary movies, and so that's like usually how I'd see them, as one of my friends would drag me to one. And I, I hate being a weenie about things, yeah. but it's still, I'm never going to be the one who's like, yeah, let's go see it. Mm -hmm. Now there's more movies that like, they're just so zeitgeisty, mm -hmm. like, you know, all the Jordan Peele movies and stuff. It's like, it's worth seeing because they're so good, right. but I don't, things that like scare me just stress me out and I yeah, don't same. seek out that feeling. But the curiosity thing, like, even now, I will. I think I did something similar when I was a kid of just like wanting to read the back and wanting yep. to look at the mm -hmm. art because it's so interesting. And yep. there's always these like interesting stories you can get even just from the cover. Um, and now with scary movies that are big, but I'm like, that does not sound like something I'm going to enjoy sitting through for two hours. Mm -hmm. I'll look up the whole synopsis. It, I will read I'll do it exactly the same I'm, thing. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like the stories can be so interesting. But I don't necessarily want to sit there and be manipulated into jumping out of my seat or like like literally leaving the movie us. My like joints were sore mm -hmm. because I was so tense yeah. for the entire movie, which I think was really impressive. Like Jordan Peele, he's masterful in that. Yes. But also I feel so stressed out, I really need to relax. And I think it's really, you know, horror is as a genre so huge mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of a strictly defined genre in a lot of ways. Like you can tell when something's a horror movie. Like there's, yeah. it's not, it's almost never ambiguous because that's something that is marketed and you, kn you know you're getting into a horror movie mm -hmm. when you go to see one. And it's really cool to me when directors who are really skilled, people like Jordan Peele or people like Stanley Kubrick, for example, mm -hmm. go to horror as kind of a, uh, a playground for exploring upsetting ideas or interesting ideas that are, you know, and, and using the, the tropes and conventions of this genre to explore things that people are actually afraid of in real life and people actually have to confront in real life. Right. But to do it in a way that people find entertaining as opposed to just compounding the frustrations and the stresses and the fears of everyday life. I find that really interesting. Yeah, I remember hearing an interview um, early in the American Horror Story series. Mm -hmm. I think um, it, either the showrunners or maybe it was uh, Ryan Murphy himself, but like it, he was talking about how the um, the scary, like the first season, the haunted house season, mm -hmm. the idea wasn't necessarily, like the true scary thing wasn't necessarily the house. Mm -hmm. It was this marriage breaking yeah. apart. Like mm -hmm. that's a real, real life fear and that's what everything kind of was centered around. And it is an interesting idea, exactly like you're saying, that you're taking these things that are like, completely out of the realm of possibility, mm -hmm. maybe, right. I believe yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> but using those to explore these ideas that are real life scary. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, and I think, well, I, I don't want to go too far into this with before we talk about the movies, but mm -hmm. um, the movie I brought, I think was just an interesting exercise in how to make people scared. Like it's yes. all emotional manipulation yeah. on the like surface level, paranormal mm -hmm. scary stuff so that I think there's so much like technical that you mm -hmm. get into that's that's fun to watch too. Exactly and you, you nailed it early on when you said that like the movie you brought is very minimal in mm -hmm. every every aspect oh, yeah. whereas the movie I brought is 
everything. Maximal. It's a maximal. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's a minimalism versus maximalism. Yeah. And so they're very different kinds, but they, but they but in the in a weird way they both achieve a very similar effect in the audience, and not just in the fact that they're scary, mm -hmm. but the way they scare the audiences I think is actually very similar using two completely different approaches, mm -hmm. um, as well, I'm sure we'll get into more in you know in in our discussions of the movies themselves. But like they both employ the tension mm -hmm. of suspense and the sustained fear. Mm -hmm. A lot of times movies will be able to do suspense really well, but then jump scares. And yeah. they're like cheap jump scares, like, oh, it was just a cat, or oh, this big scary body just fell out of the closet or something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas these two movies, I think, the much more difficult approach is to draw out the suspense, and then when the scary thing happens, it's still scary 30 seconds later, 60 seconds later. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not like jumping and then relaxing. You're you're jumping and then like, what do I do now? I'm like fidgeting in my chair because like, this is so crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think they both also set up interesting, I, with scary movies, probably because I'm so stressed during them, <laughs> I'm always looking for the like, okay, we're safe now, mm -hmm. now something might mm -hmm. happen. And I think they both kind of set up those rules in really interesting ways. Yes. Some films, like us in particular, I felt like there was no safe space. Right. Like everything, at any moment, something could have happened. But in both of these, I think there was a little bit of a like, okay, we know that in this particular circumstance, mm -hmm. probably nothing scary will happen. Exactly. And you kind of find those those islands and then it just makes the suspension Worse yeah. when you realize, like, oh, I've been comfortable for a minute. Uh -huh. But with that, let's let's dive into our films. Of course. And Kari, what what film did you bring to the table today? So I brought the uh, 2007, though it was widely released in 2009, uh, kind of low-budget horror darling, Paranormal Activity. Kind of high-def camera on. My girlfriend Katie, she thinks there's something in the house. I don't know. You believe me, right? Doors are locked, alarm is on. If anything walks through here, it's gonna leave a pretty good footprint. When did you hear that? Oh my god. There's footsteps in, but there's no footsteps out. You cannot run from this, it will find you. This woman, same things happen to her. Oh god. Breathing on me. Looks like something big here. You stop following me with the camera. I'm in control. You got that. Paranormal activity. Rated R. You demanded it. Now playing in theaters everywhere. Modern Which, classic, I would say. Modern classic, yeah. I was excited when you said you hadn't seen this one because, again, not being a huge horror person, there's yeah. not a ton of movies that I can bring that, like, yeah. nobody's seen this. But this one is, it's worth watching because, I mean, it certainly didn't kick off the, like, found footage genre. It was about 10 had, years after Blair Witch. Yeah, and yeah. that's the true start. But this really did, I think, revitalize some yes, of that. definitely. It definitely revitalized low-budget horror. And, uh, like, we've we've briefly discussed before we got into this podcast, but um, it did kick off some pretty big names in mm -hmm. production, at least, that, yes. um, that you know, are, are creating some really interesting things now. So, uh, yeah, Paranormal Activity. Um, mm -hmm. 
So uh, you had to have been familiar with this. Yeah, I, I definitely knew that this movie was around. I knew that people really considered it to be very scary, although, um, you know, a lot of movies market themselves as being particularly scary um, when they're not necessarily, because obviously people that like horror movies want to see the scariest movie they can find. Mm -hmm. So if your movie is remotely frightening, you're going to market it as the most terrifying experience you could possibly have in a movie. Yeah, um, so which is so fun. I, in doing research for this, just the, the consistent, like since Alfred Hitchcock, the mm -hmm. whole like, oh my God, you're going to be so scared yeah. that you're going to die. Like, we have doctors waiting outside. Whereas with this movie, with Paranormal Activity in particular, um, when I looked it up, people literally did leave the theater during test screenings because they were too scared. Right. And this one is so interesting because it came from a very indie background, as you alluded to. Like, this is basically a festival darling. This is yeah. anyone who releases a festival film mm -hmm. This is what you hope happens. You yeah. made it on a shoestring budget. People love it. Someone buys mm -hmm. it, and then it kicks off a five-film franchise. Which I, I actually want to read. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like this is one of the only times I've ever seen this happen with movies. Like sometimes sleeper hits will graduate to number one at the box office mm -hmm. occasionally. That's rare enough. But like the very short nutshell history of this movie that I found fascinating was that the film opened in 12 theaters in college towns on September 25th, 2009. Okay, um, it made like $80,000 over that weekend in 12 theaters, so not bad. Okay, so the next weekend it spread to 33 theaters, doubled the box office reception, um, and then the weekend after that, uh, it spread to 160 theaters. And then after that, one weekend later, it went to, 600 theaters, six, oh, excuse me, 600 more theaters, and then it eventually expanded to 3,000 theaters. So starting from 12 theaters, like a limited release is one thing, but like every week exponentially growing mm -hmm. in theaters and then ending up at the end of like, the, when all was said and done, making $200 million on a $15,000 budget. Yeah. Incredible. It's, and it's so wild, like the production value is part of the story. Mm -hmm. It's it, it works so well, and it just, it, it was, as I was reading about this, when it got purchased um, by Paramount, they had talked about, like, reshooting it. They yeah. talked about basically entirely remaking it when they were going to do a wide release, but it just worked so well as it was that they were like, no, you know what? They, they made some minor tweaks, mm -hmm. and that was, that was the film that yeah. they saw. And it's, like, largely shot by the actors. Yeah. Like, it's so, just exactly a production or a um, festival darling. Like yeah. anybody who's ever made an indie movie and you know put their blood, sweat, mm -hmm. and tears into $11,000 or less, that is what they hope to get out of it. And yeah, yeah there's very few stories of, of you know, success on this magnitude it's from true. that. It's true, and it's proof positive. It's every few years we get a reminder that really all you need is an idea and a camera and you can make your movie happen. You can make mm -hmm. a really good, really effective, and financially successful movie with the bare minimum of resources. And, you know, the fact that this movie is scary is one thing, but it's also really good. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, the storyline is coherent and often to the detriment of the believability that it is a found footage movie. But if you go into it knowing that it's obviously staged, it's still, like, a really good movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't rely on the idea that, like, ooh, maybe this is for real. Well, no, but it's still really good. Yeah, totally. And we can dive into, well, I guess that's your background. My background, um, I remember... Maybe not when, I, I think I saw this when it first came out, but what I really remember is 
when the subsequent movies came out, mm -hmm. I was in college and it was like a huge thing that they would come out in select theaters for, I mean, the second or the third one, mm -hmm. there was like a whole social campaign about like, Demand bring it, it. Demand yes, it, yeah. yeah, bring it to a theater near you. We stood in line, I was in school in New York, so I stood in line with some friends in Times Square at like a Lowe's theater or something, waiting for like two or three hours to get let into some of the releases, uh -huh. just because it was a thing to do. Yeah. Like, I don't even like scary movies that right. much, but like, it was just such an experience. And there's something so, cool it doesn't feel like marketing it felt like there's a cool yeah. you know well and it, seeing a movie like this horror movies often have this but like the experience of seeing a movie like this in a crowded theater with people that have also never seen it before mm -hmm. is i mean that was not my experience with this movie but like movies like this that mm -hmm. you get a chance to see it on like opening weekend with a room full of strangers the electricity's in the air the anticipation is high it it's one of the best experiences you can have in just going to the movies really yeah and it feels like the whole thing feels a little like subversive like mm -hmm. you're watching these home videos what's mm -hmm. going to happen like you're watching it unfold and yeah it is it's just an experience and in some of the later ones we'll talk about this later but they do some really interesting techniques in in that found footage you know in those parameters that are so interesting we could talk about that a little bit as we talk through the plot but yeah it just it felt so cool and underground and mm -hmm. fun and and what I was thinking of the um the whole like found or the candid camera in the theater. Yeah. I want to say this is the marketing campaign that started that. Like Probably, now you yeah. see those trailers and it's the audience like, Wah! right, like, freaking it's like, out. It's, it's like the camera on a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just it feels like that. It feels like when uh -huh. everyone's in there and they're also watching you because uh -huh, you're all scared uh -huh. and you're part of it now. But anyway, so that was a fun. I I would recommend watching some of the later ones because okay. I mean, it, the premise may not hold out. They they build out the plot in a way that's, you know, it's putting a lot of strain on mm -hmm. something that's, like you said, very minimal in this movie. But um, just the pure techniques of how they keep this, like, found footage and, you know, not really being able to see what happens but finding interesting ways to uh -huh. show it. Like, I think it's in the third one, they have an Xbox Connect. Okay. And when you turn off the lights oh, and there's a camera, okay. you see the like grid of green dots okay. that tracks motion. Yeah. And they do some really interesting things with things yeah. moving across the green dots. And see, that's and really clever. That is a very clever use of like, very again, using the zeitgeist in a way, as something like an artifact of the time mm -hmm. in a way that makes logical sense, you yeah. know? And, and I feel like it, it's so easy for movies that are trying to be of the time to really cram whatever like fad or trend is is uh, on people's minds at the mm -hmm. moment into the story when it's it, it can it can be so simple and so effective. Yeah, it's like every horror movie that's about social media now. Mm -hmm. I see those trailers and I'm like, I have no, I'm not interested because I feel yeah. like this is. A bunch of people who don't actually understand social media so like, much being like so spooky. What was that movie Nerve that came out a few like maybe two oh, years ago was that the, where like, it was like Dave Franco? Yeah, and it was one? exactly. And I was like, this trailer looks like the movie was written by a sixty-year-old who was fed up with their kids being on the internet so much. Yeah, there's like the one about like kids skyping or some kind of chat yeah, roulette something thing, like that. and like people are getting killed off. And it's just like, okay, like we get it. You're scared of the internet. Mm -hmm. Teens are scary. Right. This is like the kids going to the cabins in the woods to have sex mm -hmm. of 
2019. Ex yeah, it's that's not exactly that. what it is. It's, yeah. it's Skype. Uh -huh. Skype that's freaking them out. But yep. Anyway, so uh, let's walk through some of this plot. Let's do it. So it opens up on that opening card that is just another, like, classic, like, oh, this is real. Thank you to the families of <laughs> Mika and Katie. And to the, like, San Francisco or San Diego, San Diego yeah. uh, police department mm -hmm. for releasing these films. It's, it's very, and the actors are named Mika and Katie as yes. well. Yes, yeah, the actors so, use their real names in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing. And apparently they were paid $500 originally for this Yeah, film. for $500, points, $500 for a seven-day, day-and-night shoot. Yeah. That's not a lot of money. <laughs> so was that a seven-day shoot? Like, yeah. literally... Only seven days. From what I understand, they okay. shot seven days, day and night, gotcha. and basically got like an hour of sleep a night or something. Gotcha. That's, I read that it was a seven-day shoot schedule, and I mm -hmm. didn't know if that meant no breaks, but yeah, I guess they finished shooting in seven and days. And they edited it concurrently, is from what I understand. They shot yeah. it They shot it in sequence and edited concurrently, which is like, you know, for those not working in video production, that is a grueling seven-day schedule. God, yeah. That's, I mean, I guess. You got... Fifteen thousand or uh -huh. whatever dollars, mm -hmm. um, and this takes place in two thousand six, as you know, real time. Which mm -hmm. a lot of things throughout this movie, it was like, oh man, yeah, I remember two thousand six. Oh yeah, the fashion. I was like, wow, oh yeah, hey, yeah. remember boot cut jeans? Yeah, <laughs> tank tops in every color, like uh -huh. layered tank tops. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we get introduced to uh, Mika, Katie, and the third main character the camera right so opening scene is mika bringing home well katie comes home and mika has this new gigantic camera mm -hmm. light on it whatever he's just bought this camera and he's being kind of a doofus about it and we find out that he bought it because something weird's going on yeah katie's had some kind of weird haunting experience since she was about eight years old mm -hmm. and mika wants to get to the bottom of it he wants right. to see what's happening he wants to set it up while they're sleeping and see what's going on in the house because things are moving and mm -hmm. and katie's having these weird dreams so we don't know too much about what it is that they are experiencing but now that we have this camera right we get to follow everything entirely through the lens of the camera so this right. camera is our camera for exactly. the entire movie exactly and for those who are not as Inside baseball -y about like found footage films. Just in case, this the assumption is that this is an actual document shot in somebody's home on their camcorder and that it has been pieced together to show you what happened to them in this house. Yeah. Um, and that's the idea behind it here. And so it's like you always kind of have to introduce that subject in a film's narrative in a way that is somewhat believable. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's like, all right, but why was there a tape of this? Mm -hmm. And so at first, when it first shows, the first shot of the film is, I believe, Mika holding the camera in a mirror and being like, I just got this new camera. <laughs> and my first thought is, but why? It's so convenient that you have this giant camera. But they explain it one scene later when mm -hmm. it's like, something weird's going on. We want footage. Yeah. Easy. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of where we start. Um, the hauntings, we see a couple nights of it. It's very like, you know, I think the first thing we see, and actually I realized this was the director's cut, which we can mm. talk about. Because okay. the one I watched, I watched through Amazon Prime. How did you watch it? Um, on a Plex account that I definitely pay for. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, because I realized, oh, we'll talk about this at the end, but the ending is different than I remembered. And I was oh. like, did I just get confused? And then I looked it up, and there's actually three different Multiple endings. Multiple endings, yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about that. But all that to say, I think the scene that I saw was not in the original version, but there's mm -hmm. keys. Her keys get 
thrown on the yes, floor? Yes, the keys get thrown. That's okay. the one I saw. Yeah. Apparently, that didn't make it in any version. I do not remember if that happened in, when I originally saw That's it. That's like but... the first like evidence that we see that like something is manipulating stuff in the house. They've got a Beetlejuice in the house is what's yeah. happening right now. And it is very, like, it's a very Beetlejuice-y, like, ooh, mm -hmm. like, someone's moving keys around. Mm -hmm. um, and the hauntings get kind of progressively a little bit more intrusive. There's... Yeah doors moving there's uh katie stands by the bed one night and just like rocks back mm -hmm. and forth and looks at mika how long so it's it's almost like the sims in that uh. the nighttime, like it shows a timestamp on the bottom of the right. film and then at night you know anytime something is happening in real time yes the time moves in real time but when they go to sleep the time ramps right, up yeah as it does in the as sims. it does in the sims yeah, yeah. right so there's another times. exercise in abject terror that lasts yes. for an indeterminate period of time depending on what kind of kid you are um <laughs> but she how long do you think she actually had to stand there I, you know i was trying to figure that out myself because obviously we both work in video production so it's like okay if i was gonna fake this yeah there's no i don't really have any perception of like how fast the motion would have to be sped up to be yeah. standing there for a couple of hours i honestly have no clue so you know it could be um yeah i don't know i would ballpark it as maybe like three hours like they because like maybe like she was standing oh no no, no no sorry oh, sorry okay. sorry like the whole sped up portion of like when they're sleeping and then right. i don't know how long did she have to stand there because there's it a could portion have been... where she's like she gets up at midnight she stands there till 3 a.m. I'm guessing minimum 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. Minimum. She's actually, because she is rocking back and forth, but you could have her rock a little faster, and so, yeah. like, it speeds up faster. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's no way that it was, like, a long, long time, but even standing there for 15 to 20 minutes, that's long. That's, mm -hmm. But I was just wondering as we were watching. Oh, yeah. Um, so that kind of, you know, kind of low-key spooky, nothing, nothing that seems dangerous, just kind of weird haunting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then they bring in this psychic, who yeah. um, comes in, kind he's, of just feels He's a ghost guy. Now keep it, be, be, he's very clear, I'm a ghost guy. Yeah. I know ghosts. What you need is a demonologist. Yeah, it was very much like, oh no, no, see this is plumbing. You need, I'm an electrician. This yeah. is not an electrical problem. You need, this is a plumbing problem. I, I'm glad that the psychic economy is <laughs> so strong that we can have niche specialties. Highly specialized field, you yes. You know, that's right on. But he comes in, he kind of, feels it out, talks to Katie, has, you know, has a decent professional conversation with them um, and discovers that, you know, this isn't a ghost. My specialty is ghosts. Mm -hmm. As you say, you need a demonologist. Here's here's my guy. Call him. Uh, then Mika, for some reason, well, Mika never liked the idea of the psychic, mm -hmm. and he's a very opposed to the demonologist coming He's in. a real skeptic. He's a real, like, he's, he's, he's one of those characters I hate in movies where it's like they're confronted by the supernatural 16 times in a row, and mm -hmm. they're still like, there's got to be a logical explanation. Yeah, and he's not even denying the, like, supernatural. He's just, he's denying the severity of the yes. situation. And like, I think... And, and this is one of the things, like, once it, once this clicked, I enjoyed the movie a lot more on this level, which is that, like, this is, you know, a... I'm going to read how I, how I put it down in, the, in my notes <laughs> here. Um, this is a story of a man trying to fix a woman's problems and how that attempting to fix it on his own negatively affects the woman's life and their relationship. Yeah. And it's, like, a very common just thing that just happens in real life all the time. <laughs> but you don't really see it portrayed in this kind of 
it, to me, it was a very clear metaphor for that. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, and you don't really see it portrayed that way that often. Yeah, a, a lot of the tension between them is Mika wanting to solve the problem and Katie saying, no, we need help. Yes. And I, that does, because I was getting really frustrated with Mika yeah. in this movie, or this viewing specifically, but I, part of it, I think, is functional. Like, he has to drive mm -hmm. the plot because with the psychic, Mika says, Mika has the idea of getting a Ouija board. Yes. And the psychic actually is a really helpful scene to just kind of lay the groundwork of what's going on. Like, yeah. they are, Mika and Katie have no idea, and I think they play that really well in a way that, like, a lot of horror films, I feel like they give the characters a lot of knowledge. Yes. Yeah. One way or another, there's always, you know, the scene with the, like, ancient text that they read oh, through yeah. and, the, and the illustrations and stuff. But Which like, I, I kind of wanted to find that witchcraft and demonology book that Mika was casually thumbing through that looked like a coloring yeah. book. Uh, yeah. That... <laughs> Or the website they go to yeah. later, which is <laughs> oh, pentagrams so funny. all over the page. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then, yeah, Mika. Mika just kind of serves to be like the to create escalation. Yeah. I was. Mm -hmm. This may be the only only the second time I've seen this movie, but I was noticing on this viewing like how the plot actually functions because there are a lot of like you said, especially in a found footage film, mm -hmm. but just in general, like if you're going to use people who are so, who are supposed to be just so everyday, this happened to somebody, Yeah, you need a lot of kind of driving factors outside of yes. them. And yeah, so he, he really is a, a driving factor just in that he's being and, alpha male and trying yeah, to solve exactly. the problems. And, 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 Again, it's it's one of those things where it, this can very clearly be seen as like a metaphor for a relationship falling apart mm. because it's a, you know, in him attempting to solve her problems that she is not asking him to solve and in fact is asking to have someone else help solve it mm -hmm. or fix or it. Or ignore it entirely. Or ignore it. Because she has gotten so used to having this demon follow her before she even knew what it was mm -hmm. that now she's like kind of freaked out by it but she understands that like it's happened so long and nothing really bad has happened to me that mm -hmm. I can kind of live with it. But he's pushing it and pushing it and pushing it without actually knowing what he's doing. And ultimately, the, the real brilliance I think is like when as the demonologist, or the, excuse me, as the psychic, yeah, he's the ghost guy, not the demon guy, the ghost guy. Demon guy's out of town, he'll be back next week. Yeah. Ghost guy, as he explains, this demon feeds on negative energy. And so the more Mika tries to get rid of the demon on his own, the more antagonized the demon becomes and, more, and the more freaked out uh, Katie becomes, mm. and then the more Mika is frustrated that he can't solve it, and it cycles, and it becomes this never-ending cycle until the inevitable conclusion, yeah. which in real life would be the breakup, and in this movie is Super Demon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that's something, the mechanics, yeah, like I said, are something that I paid a lot more attention to, because it is, I, there is like a sense of randomness in a found footage film. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, like, look what we caught on camera. But there is really like, there's purpose behind everything yes. that happens. And that's something I didn't appreciate, I think, in the first viewing, because it's so, you're so wrapped up in like, ah, it's scary. Right. But now it was like, okay, there's a reason why everything happens that's not just. Exactly. But so after the psychic leaves, escalating spookiness, coming to a head with uh, Mika recording some audio where he's kind of trying to talk to the demon, mm -hmm. taunting him a little bit, and he gets some kind of response when he says, like, you want me to talk to you through a Ouija board? Uh, and there's some kind of growl. Uh -huh. um, and so he brings in a Ouija board, and Katie freaks out because everyone, the psychic, everyone has said, 
That's a really bad idea. Yeah. You're a opening the door. A Ouija board, which hilariously, I was like, oh, this is very obviously a Ouija board not manufactured by Hasbro. Mm. Uh, <laughs> didn't want to have a Hasbro logo to cover up or yeah. like copyright infringement from the Ouija board. I thought yeah. that was funny. <laughs> they didn't have money for that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, is that, so is Ouija... Ouija boards are just board games that are sold by by Hasbro. Right. So yeah. do they not have like even Ouija's not uh, proprietary? I believe the I believe it is, uh -huh. and I think they kind of rolled the dice on like what they called it. I don't know. I'm not uh, entirely okay. sure. Um, anyway, brings that in, and that's kind of when stuff starts to really escalate. He it, he it, wants to. No, I was gonna say this is the moment where it crosses over from like kind of spooky to truly insidious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. So he, he wants to communicate with it. Katie's like, absolutely not. We're leaving right now. They're like on their way out the door for a date or something when mm -hmm. he pulls out the Ouija board. But she's like, nope, absolutely not. We're leaving. Gets really mad. They leave. And uh, the Ouija board moves on its own, mm -hmm. catches fire. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. It just That was it. It, it moved like, around on its own. Because like, the camera is... And again, brilliance in uh, staging and blocking and like, you know, how the story unfolds is that mm -hmm. Mika carries the camera everywhere, mm -hmm. but he leaves it in place here because Katie's really mad at him. So he just like leaves the camera running, doesn't even bother to turn it off. They leave the house for who knows how long and the camera catches the little cursor thing on the Ouija board zipping around on its own mm -hmm. and then just slowly engul becoming engulfed in flames, which was really creepy. That yeah. gave me a major chill down my spine. That was That's probably one of the scariest scenes because they also, like we said, minimal. There's a lot of scenes that are, would be scary if you saw them, but they're happening in another room. Mm -hmm. So they're still scary, but you don't know what happens. You're exactly. just hearing, you know, you're seeing their bedroom as they're sleeping. And yes. you're hearing thuds, you're hearing crashes, you're mm -hmm. you're hearing things from downstairs or down the hall, mm -hmm. but not seeing what's actually happening. Yeah. And this is one of the like the scenes you actually see. So the, it's really scary. The scenes at night when it's on there, they are very creepy mm -hmm. because the silence is deafening. There's mm -hmm. no music in this entire thing. Like there's none at all. And there's no like oh, yeah. added like ambient music or mm -hmm. not even really any diegetic music no except from the, the very beginning nothing. exactly yeah. so the scenes where the camera is set up on the tripod pointed at their bed it's like a wide angle lens so you see the bed but the bed's off center and you see the open door and the corridor mm -hmm. so every time it goes i'm getting chills literally just thinking about it because yeah. it's such a perfect and simple setup for the camera and perfect framing where you're always expecting something's going on with that door or that hallway mm -hmm. the entire time. You're expecting something to emerge from the shadows or the door to slam shut or whatever. And so the first time you see the door just slightly creak and then mm -hmm. slight, like slightly close and then slightly open, it's just a matter of like six inches or so, is I'm sure people screamed bloody murder in the theater when oh, that happened. Oh, yeah. And yeah. To, the, to the point where I think that, um, you know, what you were talking about at the very beginning about finding those safe spaces in the movie, mm -hmm. this is exactly that kind of movie because every time, every, every time there's daylight, you're like, I can breathe for a minute. But as soon as they're going to bed, it's like, oh my God. Because early on, they don't even realize anything's happening. Mm -hmm. There's stuff happening that they don't know about yet, but we do. Right, right. And so some scary. of it they potentially never realize because yeah. they, they review the tapes and they kind of talk about it, certain things. But there's things that like, yeah, we see that they never see. Um, and that like... Yeah, the framing is so scary and just the way the way they play with like what you don't know yes. and what you're imagining cuz the next thing that happens Katie sees they see the Ouija board mm -hmm. uh, Mika's trying to figure it out there's something like spelled out 
their, this is a plot line I always forget because it kind of like just doesn't matter. It doesn't really go anywhere. But, yeah. yeah. So it spells something out. He's like Nadine, Diane, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean anything to Katie. Um, she's like, this is creepy. I want to call in that demonologist. And yeah. he's like, no, no, no. Let me try one thing. I just want to put baby powder down and see what we can see. Um, and so that night he puts down baby powder before they go to sleep and you see footprints appear. Three-toed footprints. Yeah, which I I remember the first time watching this, I was kind of like, oh, it looks like, dinosaur? like a dinosaur. Yeah, a dinosaur like, demon? Yeah. Oh, I wonder, since it was so low budget, maybe they took something, <laughs> like, you know, a little kid's dinosaur shoes or something. You would have think you would have thought, like, cloven hooves or something like that. I, yeah, or even Devil like a stuff. human footprint yeah. would have mm -hmm. been scary. That, I would have made a different choice. But it's still, I mean, it's spooky because you see it. Um, one thing that I that didn't happen in the first viewing, I remember that much because I remember thinking that I never saw anything. Mm -hmm. But this time I noticed there's like a shadow that sometimes yes. crosses the door. Yeah. Whew. Oh, and when you, that gave me chills. Oh, right yeah, now, same, I just yeah. yeah. Uh, the shadows, and then like what is it, when they have when the footprint thing happens? Mm -hmm. Was there like a noise? I'm trying to remember like why they woke up because they wake up. Right. Also, somebody just walked by in the hallway and it just terrified me. Oh my me. god! Oh I, like, my god! And it was I have my like, back to the door. It's, it's a, really scary. It was just a person in an orange t-shirt and just okay, like, because of what we're talking about, it terrified me. Oh, anyway, god. Um, in, in this, uh, I'm gonna have to like turn and face the door. It's like freaking me out. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, but no, when the footprint thing happened, were there uh, was there like a noise that wakes them up? Because there was like a big bang or something. Oh, I think it was a growl. A the couple growl, of times, yeah. the door slams shut, and mm -hmm. that's freaking terrifying. That I remembered from the first time. Just like the door slamming shut, I remembered that scene from the first viewing. But yeah. this time, I think there's the growl because they wake up and they follow the footprints. And they follow the footprints, and Katie is like, "Don't follow those footprints. Do not follow those footprints. What are you doing?" And it leads to the crawl space in their attic. Of course. Yeah. And she's like, "Don't go up there. Please don't go up there." And he's like, "I'm just gonna go up there. Hold the camera real quick." He was like, "He was like, I'm not gonna go up there. I'm just gonna peek my head." And oops, okay, just catch the camera if I throw it down. It's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, whatever. He's like, "Take the camera." She's like, "Okay, I'm holding the ladder. Please come down." Yeah. He's like, "I'll be right down." Oh yeah, I I would have been the same. This uh, guy. This guy's a real piece of work, honestly. He, like, Freaking day, day trader, bro. I mean, come on, yeah. man. Yeah, like that was the other thing. Minor sidebar. Early on in this movie, I was like, "How are these people affording this house? This is a mansion in San Diego, and they're yeah. like 25." Yeah, she's still in school. Like, she's literally not working. She's in school. He's a day trader. Uh, but so he crawls up and he finds this photo that's burned, that is of Katie as a child. Yes. And Katie had told the psychic that her house had burnt down when she was a kid. Right. Never determined. Why? Yeah. Which seems kind of uh, like rare. Yeah. I, I had my house burned down when I was a kid. Oh, and wow. okay. they like knew exactly how it happened. Like, and I remember watching an episode of Bill Nye where they were talking about like how you determine how fires happen. Yeah. So it seems like that. It's like if it burns quickly, there's accelerant, so it's probably arson. Uh -huh. Or if it's like, you know, there's certain telltale signs of electrical. I mean, right. obviously, I don't know the science behind it, but there, yeah, there are ways to tell. Yeah. Right. And it's so that was something that I was like, inside knowledge was like, oh, that's really weird, but mm -hmm. I think maybe wouldn't have hit as hard if, if you don't know that stuff. Yeah. But I was like, that's actually, like, they, seems pretty strange. Yeah, they kind of give it as an, a lot of information on the front end is given as kind of an offhand background that doesn't mm -hmm. seem that important. But really, I think that in this movie, there's hardly a line of dialogue that is not in service of the story by the end. Yeah, yeah. So she finds this photo and she's like, or he finds the photo and she's like, it's 
basically impossible that this would exist. I have nothing from yeah. that house anymore. There's no way I would have put a photo in the random attic space yeah. that's like full of, you know, uh, just fiberglass insulation. Fiberglass, yeah. yeah. Um, so spooky, weird. Uh huh. And then it's daytime again. Thank God. Cause yeah. I, I, how do they go to bed after that? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Sleep in the afternoon or something. Yeah, I did wonder that. Like, why don't you just switch your sleep schedule? Mm -hmm. But you can tell towards these later scenes that like they're getting really sleep deprived. Yeah. Like she's terrified to go to bed, but like they're starting to get loopy. And Katie, it's like, is she loopy? Mm -hmm. Is she possessed? So she's like, we're I gonna am. be okay now. Oh. Yeah. Um, they. So she. Calls the psychic. He is out of town, or the demonologist. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, he's out of town. He's out of the country for yeah. a couple more days. So they call their original ghost guy. He says, "Like, yeah, I'll come back. I'm a ghost guy." But he, uh, the amount of times he said that, I was like, "Okay." Um, now I'm not a demon guy. I'm just a ghost guy. Just so a I ghost don't know. Guy. I mean, I gotta you call got my ghosts. I got it. I gotta I'm call that demon guy. Yeah. So he comes back and he's like gets in the door and is like, I have to leave. Yeah. The demon does not like me here. Yeah. I can feel the presence. It's This is bad. Me which, being here is not good. Which I kind of thought was funny, keeping in mind the relationship metaphor. It's like, have you ever been invited over to like a couple's house? And then you're like, no, I can feel the negative energy in this room and I need to leave immediately. It's like um, that episode of The Office. Like, not one of the number one episodes of The Office. The, the dinner party at uh, Jim and, uh, not Jim fans, uh, Jan and Michaels. You know what I'm uh, about? Yeah, yeah. That like <laughs> yeah. it's like that episode. Okay. Just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, no, I'm. This is bad. I don't like the role I'm gonna play here. And he makes he makes no qualms about like he's not gonna be polite. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I need to leave immediately because this is only making him angrier. Mm. He does not like me at all. So <sighs> let me get out of here. I'm I'm sorry. Bye. See ya. Well, I wonder too. Like we never see it outside of the house. Like, couldn't they have followed him to a second location? And I suppose I, don't I mean know. they established pretty thoroughly that like he can't move to get rid of this guy. Mm -hmm. He is attached to Katie, not yes, the house. Yes, exactly. But like he hasn't done anything that we know of outside of the house. So yeah. why don't you just go to a coffee shop and talk to the psychic there? Not in the budget. That's why. <laughs> no second location. <laughs> um, yeah. So psychic leaves. He's like, can't help you by. Yeah, um, which is crazy because the first he's, he's in two scenes in the entire movie. The first one, he ends the conversation with like, "This is not my area of specialty. I need you need to call somebody who knows more about this stuff, but you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine." And then in this one, he comes in for three seconds. He's like, "I gotta go. You guys are on your own. Goodbye. Yeah. See you for bye forever." He says he'll like try to help them, but I yeah. did. Assurances might have been a little yeah. premature, especially yeah. considering he said, like, oh, I don't know anything about demons, uh -huh, but like, uh -huh. you're gonna be okay. I thought yeah. that was him just kind of blowing smoke, but oh, what clearly it was. Anyway, so then um, Mika, I think it's at this point, Mika discovers this website about this woman, Diane, yeah. who has very similar experiences to Katie. Right. Basically gets exercised and I think dies. Yeah, exactly. So, there was that one part that was like kind of unintentionally funny during that when she's like, he pulls up like the photo and she's like, oh, she's very pretty. And he's like, oh no, that was pre-demon. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, that was, who, no bedside manner there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, so she, yeah, I guess, she asked how Diane died and I don't think they said. I, I don't remember. I think it was just. It was just horrifying uh, videos yeah. of her. I mean, not horrifying because they were a little bit like, hard to tell what's going on yeah. but she clearly like was possessed mm -hmm. and got exercised and didn't make it so katie's understandably very freaked out mm 
Um, and then that night, she gets actually dragged out of bed. Yeah. There's bite marks on her back the next morning. She gets dragged out of bed. The door slams shut behind oh, her. And yeah. then, yeah. And then so, like, Mika, obviously, he's, like, running out and trying to, like, it, seemingly, and down the hall, because we see this from the bedroom, and the, all the action is happening down the hall, mm -hmm. so you can barely see anything. Seemingly trying to yank her out of the claws of this demon, it appears. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, it's really ramping up. Um, and so that's, the, they're like, we're leaving, we're going to get a hotel, we're going to yeah. leave, we're getting out of here. And they end up staying the rest of that night, but deciding to get a hotel the next night. During the day, Katie somehow convinces Mika not to go to the hotel. She's, she's loopy. She's, she's out like of it. She's like catatonic at this point, practically. Yeah. And she's like telling him, no, don't worry about it. We don't need to go. I don't want to go. I want to stay here. And then as soon as he leaves the room, she like is looking practically straight at the camera. like, everything's going to be okay now. Ugh. Yep, yep, yep. This is very scary. She starts smiling at weird times now. Yeah. She's, she's pretty gone. So that's the final night. And she... Actually, you tell me what you saw. So what I saw was, it's the final night. She stands by the bed for mm -hmm. hours, mm -hmm. directly over Mika. And then, which at this point, it definitely seemed like, it, this was obviously just like some kind of like a trick, some kind of like a visual trick, but she looked taller. Oh. And I think that she, her posture was definitely different, but she looked taller to me and I don't know if I don't know I if that was like a that. lens effect or something but that's the way it appeared to me mm. and then she slowly walks out of the room and goes downstairs and again the camera's stationary night vision Mika's asleep she goes downstairs deafening silence and then blood-curdling screams calling you screaming for Mika he runs downstairs they're both screaming you hear sounds of a struggle and then dead silence for like 35 seconds mm -hmm. and then body thrown from the doorway at the camera, knocks the camera off kilter. Um, and then you see, as the camera's tilted down, you see like Mika's dead body on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Katie, covered in blood, slowly walks into the room, gets down on her knees, and like goes, leans down to like, I don't know, swallow his soul or something, <laughs> I'm not sure. And then looks straight up at the camera and then like, bah, jump, yeah. jumps at the camera and then cut to black. That was the ending that I saw. Okay. That is the theatrical ending. That's okay. the ending I saw uh -huh. originally. The ending I saw this time, which I was like, because I vividly remembered like the body at the camera. Yeah, that is yeah. all very memorable. Oh, and I forgot to mention, the after the after she jumps at the camera and it cuts oh, to black, mm -hmm. there is the end title card that says that um, Mika's body was recovered by the police on October 11th. Katie's whereabouts are still unknown. Mm -hmm. That's the version I saw. That's the theatrical version um, I saw, I guess, the studio version mm. this time, which was um, the scream, crash, all that happens. Mm -hmm. Deafening silence. Katie walks back in with a knife, walks up to the camera, mm. cuts her throat, oh, and falls over. Oh, whoa. But that doesn't work with any of the sequels. Right, yeah. Because Katie is a part of them. Yeah. So I was so confused. But I looked up, so as as part of this kind of, you know, being acquired for distribution uh -huh. and all that stuff, the endings did change. I'm not, I guess, the studio, I'm not sure why the studio would have put that ending, and, especially because it became a franchise. Yeah, and what I heard was like that there was a third ending that mm -hmm. was either, I don't remember if they said they shot it and never released it, or they didn't, they never shot it, in which she is sitting in the bed, and there's a time lapse for like three days of her sitting in the bed, 
not moving, and then the police show up. Yeah, I think that one is, that's the original ending. Oh, okay. So that was the original back in low-budget days. Mm -hmm. Alternate got added for theatrical release. Studio ending for the home release, I'm not sure why. And then the unfilmed ending was mm -hmm. uh, she bludgeons Micah with the camera. Oh, that's right. That's the one I read about. Yeah, and they didn't film it because... Uh, it was too brutal, but also just too complicated. Too complicated, to shoot. right? Yeah. Also, so, I don't want to break that camera. Yeah, I mean, on my <laughs> shoestring budget, that yeah, because uh, that was not a cheap camera too. That was the thing. That fifteen thousand dollar budget, I would assume that like five thousand was the camera. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, and the the guy who played Mika, who's doing a lot of the camera work, right, in, yeah. in the movie, it's possible. Like when Katie's holding the camera, well. I guess maybe both of them did, but it, it called out that he had done some camera work in college, so it's like, yeah. oh, great. Uh -huh. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, he knew um, what he was doing. Yeah, so anyway, very spooky. Any final mm -hmm. thoughts or, or memorable things? Well, I mean, you? definitely, I I was impressed. I, this movie had a lot more going for it than I expected. I thought it was mm -hmm. going to be kind of like a one-note, just like jump-scary kind of a thing, mm -hmm. and it's not. It's actually a lot better, and like for a person that does not necessarily care for horror movies or being scared in general... I really enjoyed the experience of watching this movie because mm -hmm. as it unfolded, the themes that were emerging, I thought were really interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, I already talked about like what I saw with the uh, you know man trying to fix woman's problems, but also man being haunted by partner's past or oh, just like a yeah. person in a relationship being haunted by their partner's past, something that they had nothing to do with, can't control, but the more they think about it and the more they try to deal with it, the more it just kind of like infects their mind and they can't really get over it. Yeah. I think that's a thing that like, I, that's another level in here and where it's like it ultimately destroys the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, I, I think that it's, all. I think all of these kind of subtextual things, I, I imagine that the, you know, like macho, I'm gonna fix this attitude must have been intentional. It had mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, I, it, it worked much better than I think a lot of um, other less genre-heavy movies that try to deal with the same thing mm -hmm. do it. Because it was very simple. It's a very simple kind of an idea and a very simple metaphor to execute. And I thought it was executed really well and effectively yeah. without sacrificing the scares. Yeah. I, I think this one, it's the perfect budget to match what they're trying to do. Like the fact that, you know, a lot of things that are probably cost constraints, um, mm -hmm. you know, may have been choices because of cost, maybe not, but two characters, one house, you know, one location, it, that was, I'm assuming, a real house because mm -hmm. they're moving through it so much. But you're taking that and it's, it's cost effective, but also, like you're saying, like it makes these themes so important and so central to what you're doing also you know it also makes the the scares and the way you build suspense so specific like it yeah. just it works so well within its constraints that it's it couldn't have been successful almost any other way so yeah um, no, I mean, I, and it, overall I think that the one thing we didn't really talk about like as far as a little bit of background is like this um, was kind of the first mega success story for Blumhouse, uh, which is a production right. company that um, Jason Blum, uh, who was, I want to say a former Paramount exec, I'm not entirely positive, but anyway, he, he started this company that specializes in horror movies and has been 
over the last decade now, grown from being this kind of small production company that acquired Paranormal Activity um, as kind of its first success story to now producing some of the biggest horror franchises and horror movies uh, around, like uh, uh, both of Jordan Peele's uh, movies, uh, uh, Us and Get Out, were Blumhouse. Uh, they also produced a, uh, a great documentary called Horror Noir oh. uh, about black representation in Hollywood horror movies that is highly, highly recommended Ooh, by me. Um, and then they also produced the, uh, the Halloween uh, uh, sequel that came out in 2018. Oh. So they're all over the place. They do big budget, low budget. They're a very prolific and well-respected uh, production house for horror movies these days. And I think that this is a really interesting thing to kind of see their first big success story. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's an interesting model, and like I said, yeah, I think that is paranormal activity kicking off that low-budget, you know, high-grossing horror film. That's really it's Blumhouse. That's yeah. That is the trend, and it is interesting all the things that they've produced now. Because um, I was looking, I think they even have yeah, Whiplash and Black Klansman. So it's not yeah, even exa- horror for right, them exactly. Yeah, they're which, branching out. They're doing uh, they're doing big things. And yeah, it's so interesting because like you know. Genre pictures, in particular horror films, are almost guaranteed to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so cheap to produce, and people will just go to them, mostly teenagers. But um, they make good money, and yeah. so like that's a great in for indie producers and indie filmmakers. And so I think that's what we're seeing right now. Like yeah, Black Klansman and uh, Get Out mm-hmm. were uh, up for Oscars and won Oscars. Mm-hmm. So you know Blumhouse is on the up and up. They're I, they're they're one to watch, even for people that aren't really like into like industry inside baseball kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So would you recommend this movie? I absolutely would. Um, I would say that if you are a fan of films in general, you should definitely see this movie. Um, And it's it's definitely one of those like horror movies for people who don't like horror movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's not particularly gory. It is scary, yeah. but it's a great example of how, again, not just how you can make a scary movie and a good movie with a low budget, but also you can make a scary horror movie with virtually no violence mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Except for the end, which is just, it always kind of surprised it's me. That, like, I mean, you have to end it somehow, but it was like hyper-violent yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you have done it any other way? Would have been interesting to see, but yeah. it is a very, very uh, effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about your review? Paranormal Activity has a lot more to offer than faux realism and jump scares, both of which were well-established by the time it came out. Not content with being just a haunted house flick with a very cheap found footage gimmick, this movie effectively explores complex themes about man-woman relationships while never getting sidetracked from its primary mission of being incredibly scary. Its unbelievable success story is solid proof that you really can make a hit movie with nothing more than a few thousand bucks and a great idea. Great. So, what about you? So, uh, I just realized I forgot to mention the title at the top of this one, but uh, I... It's okay, it's The Suspense. It is The Suspense. So, the movie that I brought that I realized was a great pairing for Paranormal Activity, 1982's The Thing, Mm -hmm. from director John Carpenter. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. 
but it's vulnerable out in the open. It takes us over, and it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can feed one of those things! John Carpenter movie uh, VHS stack T-shirt from nice. Studio House Designs to celebrate. Uh, it says Carpenter or Die. <laughs> yeah, um, and this is a uh, movie that stars Kurt Russell and Keith David. Mm -hmm. um, Kurt Russell being one of my favorite actors. John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors. This is easily a top ten film for me overall. This nice. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it is um, a big-budget movie for its time that John Carpenter got a chance to shoot a big-budget Hollywood movie. Uh, very effects-heavy. It was yeah. kind of his uh, blank check, more or less, to borrow a, you know... To, this was his opportunity to say, I can be a big studio director. Oh. But largely because this movie came out very shortly after E.T., which had a very soft, cuddly, family-friendly alien. Oh... The public did not like this movie at all. So it was a major okay, flop. Critics hated it. It was not successful at all. And so, and ever since then, John Carpenter has had to kind of like, he's more or less retired from filmmaking now, but after this movie came out, he was still able to make movies, but never on this scale ever again. Oh, um, a, which is a real bummer, a, I yeah. think. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, um, this, this particular movie is a, uh, a remake of a movie that came out in the 50s called The Thing from Another World, mm -hmm. that, uh, very, very different. It's it's a radically different movie, uh, than it, but it's based on a short story okay. uh, that came out in the 30s. And uh, I have not read the short story, but from what I understand, the John Carpenter 82 version of the movie is a lot closer to the source material. Oh, um, and it deals with, in short, it deals with a group of uh, people that work on a research station in Antarctica uh, as winter is coming on, who uh, are uh, set upon by a shape-shifting alien that can imitate any life form that it comes across. Mm. That is the idea. And in within that framework, they don't know who among them may or may not have been turned into this alien mm. because it can replicate perfectly anybody or any living thing that it comes into contact with. Um, and so that's the setup here. Now, where that goes in this story is bananas. Um, it is one of the craziest movies you'll ever see. I think it still holds up as like one of the most like inventive, uh, effects-driven movies. Uh, I would say ever, honestly. Like the, the the effects work in this film is front and center um, mm -hmm. when it happens in a big way. Yeah. Um, and then there is a prequel slash reboot that came out in 2011, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, also called The Thing. It's not differentiated at all, sort of like Halloween. I don't know why John Carpenter movies have sequels, prequels that have just the same title, <laughs> like Halloween. I like that, um, I like that the first time. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so that's kind of the overview here before we get into the plot. Now, before I brought this movie to the table, mm -hmm. were you familiar with this movie at all beyond me just saying this is a movie I want to talk about? Like, had you ever heard of it? Did you know anything about it? No, honestly, I knew pretty much nothing. Um, yeah, honestly knew pretty much nothing. Okay. I when I was watching it, I realized I had seen some scenes before uh -huh. in like I can't even name specifically what it is, but one of those like either 
you know, cinephile type yeah, videos yeah. on, you know, on YouTube uh -huh. or one of those shows that's like, you know, top 10, whatever. 100 scariest moments. Exactly. 100 years, 100 screams, whatever. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Exactly that. Um, I think the scene I specifically saw was, I forget which guy, because honestly, the names I all run together. I, I, yeah. I've seen this movie probably twenty times, no exaggeration, and I can barely remember half of their names. They needed to give them nicknames or something. Like Windows, I got. Windows it was like, got that guy. Yeah, yeah. Windows. Uh, Doc. Well, even then, I was like, wait, there's a doctor. Um, yeah. That one. One note. Make the make the names a little bit more recognizable. Uh, but I forget who it was. But when his head like comes off of his yes. body. Yes. Not the spider head, but maybe he's the guy who turns into the spider head. But like his like eyeballs start bugging and his uh -huh. head like extends off his body. I think I've seen that specifically uh -huh. in one of those type, you know, yeah. scares, whatever. Um, but the movie itself, really no familiarity. I mean, okay. a, a, a horror, not my bag. So right. 80s horror, definitely not my bag. Mm -hmm. um, so I, John Carpenter's a, a bit of a blind spot for me, mm -hmm. but it was, I do love Kurt Russell and it was an interesting one to, as I watched it, I was like, okay, some of this looks familiar, uh -huh. but for the most part, totally, totally clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I was kind of hoping that was going to be the case. And yeah. honestly, I had a plan in mind. It didn't turn out to be practical, unfortunately, but I had this idea in mind that I was like, cause I know that you were a very reactive, like. I think you see where this is going. You are a very reactive like person in general. Like when someone tells you a story or something like that, like your face, your face will definitely show your your what you're thinking. Oh god. <laughs> uh, you, you, let's just say you do not have a natural poker face, but that's that's fine. <laughs> so what I thought would be kind of fun was if we were able to set up in some way to have like a camera on you while you're watching this movie <laughs> to like basically do a super cut of like when the big like scary stuff happens or uh -huh. the big effect shots happen to have like your reactions on tape and then release that along with this. I would have loved to see that as well. <laughs> would have been complicated, yeah. but uh, especially since you told me that you watched a good bit of this on the train, so that would have been tricky. <laughs> I mean, that would have been hard, but I do, well now I'm wondering, cause I watched, as I said, a good part of this on the train, yeah. um, which I told you, it, it was like earlier this week, rainy gray yep. day so watch a lot of it in the morning on the train to work and it was just such a great experience oh, I'm sure, it was yeah. like it's like when it's like a rainy day outside and you watch a movie indoors mm -hmm. like during the day and you know you're still in your pjs and stuff um so it felt kind of like that but it was like the beginning of my work day so it just was very yeah. a very cozy way to start my day That's although funny. i did like i kind of sat in the corner and like had to just tilt my phone because I really didn't want people looking over my shoulder and seeing like, you know, blood and guts and yeah. like slimy, disgusting monsters. And heads sprouting bug yeah. legs and stuff like that. I was like, they're going to think I am a crazy person. Um, but yeah. I do wonder now what my face was showing <laughs> as as I was watching it. But it was, oh, it was so fun. It was so fun to watch. And, and, and it's one of those things one of those movies where it's almost, as a scary movie, it's almost better to watch it surrounded by people because in this movie, the people are what's scary. And yeah. very few people are alone in this movie. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the crux of what's scary in the movie is it's not being alone and something jumping out at you. It's being surrounded by other people and not knowing which one of them wants to kill you. Right. Um, and I, it is an intense viewing experience for mm -hmm. sure. And it, even now having watched it several times, it's like it gets your blood racing. I would say that really got, you know, really got my blood pumping every time I watched even for this one like watching it very clinically and academically. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, you know, 
I, I've seen this movie twice at the Plaza Theater in Atlanta oh. when they've screened it. Oh, I thought it was um, amazing. Watching it on the big screen is great, and watching it with a crowd is great, especially mm -hmm. because there's a moment in the film where a guy's head, a guy's entire body is transforming into something else, and mm -hmm. his head falls off onto the floor, <laughs> and then as everybody's watching the body transform, the head sprouts these giant bug legs, uh. and it's accompanied with this like oh, noise. God, yeah. And as that happened, the woman sitting next to me did not make a sound, but she silently, her eyes were glued to the screen, eyes big as dinner plates, and she just silently raised one hand to cover her mouth when that happened, and I was like, this rules. This is uh, the best. And that scene too, like, like I think I've mentioned so far, they're just, you're watching all of the action. Like, you, they do not, you know, in, in Paranormal Activity, it's putting the camera in places where it strategically won't see certain things. Right. But, and you know, the monster's invisible, but this one is like camera at the action at all times. Mm -hmm. And so you're watching that transform and then cutting back to the people who I guess are watching the body, but it's not totally clear whether they're seeing it or not. Yes. And so you're kind of like, uh, uh, you're gonna do something about this? Yeah. Like what, it's, it's transforming, what are you gonna do? Yeah. And then it, they don't see it until later and you're just like, uh. Right, yeah. Well, um, yeah, and then just as a just like a quick thing, like I, I I don't remember the first time I watched this movie, but it was relatively recently. I think I was in maybe fresh out of college or something mm -hmm. like that. It might have been actually when I was living in Colorado. I don't remember, but it was like at some kind of situation where it was like I haven't seen this John Carpenter movie that everyone says is great. I should watch this movie, mm -hmm. and man, I was not disappointed. It was uh, it, it has definitely become one of my very favorite films. Um, so with that in mind, um, okay. First impression, like before we dive into like the plot, I mean like what was your first impression as you were watching it? I told you it was crazy and I told you there's a lot of <laughs> insano creature effects, but what was your first reaction watching this film? Um, I, well I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, it's, it's one of those everything movies that you're just like, <sighs> ah, this is why film exists. Yeah. Like for how much, I think especially in this moment, every there's a lot of like, a lot of subtlety and a lot of, you know, low-key. I probably say this every time a movie like this comes up. But, like, especially in the 80s when it was just maximal. It felt like watching, like, The Labyrinth or something Kinda, where you're just like, yeah. everything is here. Like, we are covering these monsters in slime. There was so much slime in this movie. A lot. Like, things are just very goopy. Mm -hmm. And it was it's just fun and impressive. I mean, you don't... You don't get lost in this one in a like, oh my God, what if this happened to me kind mm -hmm. of way? Because it's like, that is a gigantic puppet. Yeah. But it is just like, it's just so cool what you can do with a budget and yeah. with, you know, a fun, you know, fun, but like entertaining story. And I did, I liked all the elements of this of like, you know, it's an Antarctic uh bunker essentially mm -hmm. we don't really know why they're there right yeah it's supposed to it's loosely like a research station i mm -hmm. think because it's like not really got, they don't really get into it but what i've kind of gathered is that this is like a research station and this is the essential crew that's there to keep it running over the winter while the researchers are not there that's the that's the impression that i'm getting from it yeah and it's like it's a crew of people so it's just an interesting world to be in, yeah. and it turns into this like locked room mystery exactly. because everybody is a suspect exactly. at some point, and it just there's a lot of really fun things. There's some beautiful map painting. Yes, it, it is kind of an, a crystallized like '80s movie. You know, it, the, the tech doesn't hold up necessarily, but it is really fun and interesting 
to watch, especially from that angle of like, yeah. wow, matte painting. Like, yeah. Yeah, it looked like hand-painted hand painted backgrounds, right. I'm assuming. Yeah, there was but, definitely a lot of matte work in this film. Uh, yeah. they, I mean, they shot it in Alaska mm. in the, in the wintertime. And so, you know, they built the whole station. That was all a real set inside mm -hmm. and out. Um, I'm sorry, no, the exteriors were there, and then, like, the interior stuff um, was on a soundstage. Sure. But still, but yeah, like, all that stuff, like, it is a real environment, and it is below freezing. Yeah. But, it's, but there is a lot of, like, matte paintings and stuff like that. But, like, when they go to the actual the, alien ship, like, yes, that's all matte. Exactly, and it's yeah. gorgeous. Like, yeah, like no, it looks great, painting. yeah. Um, and, and, like, the puppet work, the thing about the effects work that, like, really blows me away is that, you know, we've all seen, like, monster effects mm -hmm. in different, shown in different ways, but... Most of the time, it's like, that's a guy in a suit. Mm -hmm. That's CGI. That's a hand puppet. That's stop motion. In this, it's so complicated mm -hmm. that you look at it, and your brain doesn't have time to register. That's a, what the fuck is that, actually? Yeah, and how do they do it? And I feel like so many times, even when they're doing that, like, you know, mm -hmm. guy in a suit, special effects, makeup, whatever, there's also, like, they rely so much on the lighting mm -hmm. and so much on not showing you certain yes, things. Yes, yes. But this, it's fully lit like you can see yeah. everything and it's just it's impressive to mm -hmm. go that bold and, and it pays off and this is probably gonna blow your mind because it blew my mind rob botine the mm -hmm. special effects lead the mm -hmm. guy who designed and implemented all of the the creature effects in this film was 21 years old no i don't want to know he that <laughs> he led a team of 35 people and he did not know how to lead them very well, and so he ended up doing a lot of the work himself, sleeping in the studio locker room uh, most nights. He said he didn't take a day off for a year, so he worked like 370 days on the creature effects for this. And how did he get that job? He just he he was uh, he was active like very early. He was like one of those Spielberg type of t uh, okay. guys, where it's like when he was really young, he was like trying to get in, and then by the time it clicked, he was still really, really young. Yeah, Damn. 21 years old, designing and building these creature effects. Wow. Mind blowing, like a baby. That's a baby, that's a child. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, so keep that in mind, listener, when you watch this movie, because this was made by a person who was barely old enough to drink legally. Yeah, um, oh, wow. But anyway, so let's go ahead and dive in real quick, because, uh, yeah. Um, so this movie begins, the opening credits are pretty spare, and, like, Rob Bottin gets an opening credit, one of the opening credits, which is great. He should. Um, he definitely should. Um, and we see, unambiguously, this is a flying saucer crash landing in Antarctica. So from mm -hmm. the very start, the first shot of the film is a flying saucer crashing into Antarctica. So there is no question in our mind of the audience, as the audience that this is about an alien. Um, and then it jumps to present day after the title, there's a helicopter flying across the Antarctic tundra chasing a husky, mm -hmm. like chasing a husky dog. And the people in the helicopter are like shooting a rifle at this dog. So immediately you're like, why are these insanos shooting at this innocent pupper? Yeah. Um, dog gets to uh, this uh, American research station um, and the helicopter is being, as the helicopter is being spotted and everyone's coming outside and they're like, what's this helicopter doing? Helicopter lands. The guys inside, one of them accidentally blows up the helicopter with a bomb, oh, which yeah. terribly clumsy. Yeah. Um, and then the other guy is still trying desperately to shoot this dog mm. and ends up shooting one of the Americans. And so one of the Americans shoots back and kills the guy. Now, as the, this Norwegian guy is shooting the rifle at the dog, um, he stops for a second and says something in Norwegian that's unsubtitled. My understanding is he is telling them 
that dog is an alien that changes into other life forms. Don't let it get close to you. Yeah. No, like, I think that is the actual literal translation of what he's oh, saying. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. He's giving them a very clear warning, but everyone's like, I don't speak Norwegian, so what yeah, am I going to do? Yeah, crazy person shooting at us. Um, so anyway, they're like, all right, something must be up at the Norwegian station. Put that dog in the kennel. Let's go check it out. Um, so Kurt Russell is one of the helicopter pilots, and he takes... Um, not Blair. What's the guy? The doctor. The, the guy. Doctor. The doctor with doctor. the nose ring for some reason. Like okay, I saw that in like one scene, and I was like, "What the heck?" He's and like then a like, fifty-five-year-old man with a nose ring in nineteen eighty-two. Nose ring. Yeah. Not like even a subtle one. Like it's like sticking off. So yeah. I I literally didn't notice that except for one scene, and then was like, "What?" Like yeah. just a strange choice. So yeah. they bring the dog into the station, and they don't kennel him yet. They let him kind of wander around, and so McCready, Kurt Russell. And the dock, they fly out to the Norwegian station to find that it's destroyed. It's mm -hmm. been blown up, burned. There's somebody has apparently slit his own throat and oh. it was like frozen over. And then they find this frozen. Like, yeah. like it was like, ear I don't ear. know if you ear can. Ear to ear. Yeah. Um, Slice your own throat that way. And they find some documents that are in Norwegian that they can't read. Mm -hmm. They find a videotape and they find this weird, deformed, frozen corpse mm -hmm. that looks like a person, sort of, with the face weirdly like stretched out and the body in a weird position so they bring this back meanwhile back at the camp this husky is very slowly and ominously padding around checking everybody out we get lots of shots of like we get to like, kind of meet the guys and we also get to see the empty corridors of this station as Stevie Wonder's Superstitious plays, yeah. which is a great soundtrack. The diegetic music in it is really cool. Yeah. And we get to see this empty, lonely station where these guys are going to have to ride out for like the next six months or whatever. Mm -hmm. As this dog, best dog actor I have ever seen, best Amazing. performance by a dog I have ever seen, um, slowly and is it's very clear to us that this dog is investigating. This mm -hmm. dog has very human personality traits, it seems like very slowly and cautiously and systematically checking out the place. And we see it go into a room that has a shadow in it, and the shadow just turns around, and we never know who that person is. Yeah. But we understand that that is the first time that this alien thing has come into contact with a human at the American research station. So at this point, what's going through your head? I, I mean, you, like, you know everything at this point. Like, exactly as you said, like, there's nothing that gets revealed to you, I guess you never understand that scene any better than you just described it. So you're, you know there's an alien, you know it's this dog, you know the Norwegians are like, they mm -hmm. knew what was up and something terrible happened. And so it's that scene is so interesting because it's like clearly a vision of the future yeah. of what's gonna happen yep. to this American station. So you're just like, so I was, I was kind of trying to clock things to see how closely, like, how systematically things are going to happen mm -hmm. to reflect what happened in the Norwegian station? Or was it just sort of a, like, it's going to cause chaos and death, and right. that's what you need to be afraid of? And it turned out to be more of that. It wasn't necessarily, you know, a one-to-one, -one, but yeah. it... Which, actually, the Norwegian station, in real life, that is, the blown-up Norwegian station is the American station set... From the end of the movie, they shot that scene last because they actually blew up the set and burned the set and then shot there after a couple of days went by and it was covered in snow. This is why you need a good producer. Exactly. This is how you do things efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I mean, I it's so interesting how much the plot is, like I think this movie is, is scary, but it's not 
the point isn't the jump scares. Exactly. And I think that was starting to become clear at this point because, yeah, nothing scary, weird things had happened, creepy things had happened, but it, this is when it was kind of like, okay, this isn't going to be like a jump scare movie. This is going right. to be a, a slow dread, burn. Yeah. Lots of dread and suspense and, you know, tension. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, so they bring this deformed body back and like they, they, they open it up. Everyone's like, what's oh. wrong with that body? And there's like the steam coming off of it. It's really wild. And you like, get a it much... It has normal human organs. Yeah, exactly. Right. They do an autopsy on this thing. And meanwhile, the dog gets thrown into the kennel mm -hmm. because they're like, get this dog out of here. Put it in the kennel, and all the other dogs immediately start reacting. And you hear this like ominous tone. And if you, like me, mm -hmm. were were thinking the same thing, it was like you hear this tone. And in a, in another movie, this would be the moment where like it would you'd hear this tone, you'd see the creepy dog that just arrived, and then it would cut to a different scene. Nope, cuts to dog's face splitting into four mm. chunks as yeah. like it starts to transform from a dog into some other demigorgon. form. Exa exactly, a demigorgon. <laughs> it is exactly right. Um, so they're you know they perform this autopsy and then meanwhile there's a ruckus down within the kennels and uh, uh, the guy that's handling all the dogs he opens up the kennel and all the normal dogs split immediately because the alien dog the thing dog mm -hmm. has like shot these weird spaghetti tentacles out and is like trying to like absorb them or yeah. something and integrate them it's an insane effect. Like I don't have to this day. I have no idea how they actually pulled off like the spaghetti tentacle thing yeah. that comes up a few times. Yeah, it's it's hard. It is like one of those things that's hard to parse out. Like how you would do this. Yeah, which, I mean, it's why it's they like, have professionals. It's like twenty one years old. <laughs> it's like spraying goop at another dog, which was never really comes back. I don't yeah. know what that was all about. Um, I also don't understand just. You know, from a scientific perspective, why did he need to absorb the dogs if he already was a dog? Like, didn't he have dog dogs down? Don't need that one anymore. So Check. The implication is it's not trying to collect; it's trying to actually integrate all life forms on Earth. Okay, so it's not like yeah, I guess they do talk. So it's not that like they want to become each type of life. It's like every literally single integrate life. every life form. Oh, okay. Like if you happen to see that episode of Rick and Morty where <laughs> the uh, or like Rick's ex-girlfriend is a uh, an omnipresent being that kind of like integrates with every life form on a given planet, that is kind of what the thing is gotcha. in the thing. Um, so anyway, this causes like one of the first this is like one of the first big action set pieces in the movie, big action horror set pieces in the movie is like as this dog thing is like mutating and like jumping around and like all this other kind of stuff. Everybody in the station, they hit the alarm, everybody comes running, get the flamethrower. Mm. And uh, it, you see that it, they kind of respond to it kind of like a fire drill where it's like, get the flamethrower. And then from one side, a guy comes in with a flamethrower, another guy comes in with a fire extinguisher. Very smart. Yeah. Um, not something you would see in a lesser film, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but it also starts the question of like, why does this research station have all these guns? There's like, a rack of shotguns because I was like, wait a minute, Antarctica has zero land predators. Why do they need oh, yeah. a rack of shotguns? Oh, that's a really good question. I was thinking polar bears, but now that you say that, yeah. they're not polar bears there, so just penguins, just, just a lot of penguins, penguins and seals. Well, you get hungry and yeah, seals. That's true. You saw that uh, the documentary about making planet Earth with all the those were <laughs> yeah, walruses. Yeah, right. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, true. That happens. Um, but anyway, so like they they torch this dog thing before it can get too out of control. Um, and then now they're all like, all right, something extremely weird is going on. It has that great line about like what's in there. I don't know, but it's weird and pissed off. <laughs> um, great line. Um, 
There's a lot of good lines in here. Like earlier on when they like kill the Norwegian guy outside, uh, Kurt Russell's like, I think his, his first line to another actual human being is first goddamn week of winter, <laughs> which is like, it, 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 it's a funny line, but it's also like, uh, it also kind of reveals, okay, it's winter. This is the time when people start to get cabin fever and mm -hmm. go a little nuts. And so it's like, that's what they immediately think is going on. These guys just went insane from isolation and now they're, they're you know, toast. That was something interesting that I was paying a lot of attention to in the beginning was just like, what is normal and what's weird mm -hmm. here? Because if because you're in this super extreme environment, certain things are just not gonna be as weird there yeah. as they would have. You know, right. crazy Norwegians come out of nowhere shooting at a dog. The level of weirdness that that would be in you know our normal populated yeah. life is different than you know it might be a little less weird if you're yeah. out on a base somewhere super remote and uh -huh. so no some of that radio stuff contact because yeah. like established that like, there's been no radio contact for like two weeks right. which is kind of crazy to me mm. um but anyway so this after this this kennel transformation everybody sees like all right something super crazy is going on so blair played by wilford brimley mm -hmm. he does a simulation on the computer that demonstrates kind of what this alien life form does which is it attacks cells of earth creatures and transforms them basically into cells of the alien and becomes part of like a greater super consciousness kind of a thing yeah it's really right. weird but it, it and it explains it more or less clearly like what they're up against i would very say very helpful i wondered if this was just it felt very convenient like it was you, yeah what kind of computer program do you have right, that could exactly. perfectly model this alien you yeah know, this alien species but it gets, but the, it gets the job done we needed it's the fine. info so yeah. yeah and that's when so blair yeah and so blair it. definitely starts to go a little nuts at this point um they stash the body that they did an autopsy on they stash that in the closet um and then it attacks one of the guys Ugh, yeah. um, who then uh, they confront him out in the snow in one of the creepiest scenes in the movie is like when it's out in the snow oh. and the guy is like he just like kind of looks up like dead-eyed and like his hand is really long because mm -hmm. he hasn't fully transformed yet and he makes that weird noise oh, yeah. and everybody's out there and then they end up just torching him with a flamethrower but that is like a, I've seen this movie so many times but like that is the one scene where every time I see it it's like I get, ch I get chills just thinking about it right now because it's so creepy that's one of those things I guess when you were asking me what I was thinking early in the movie, there's certain things with this premise that like you just expect to see. Like mm -hmm. once you understand what's going on, it's like you expect that there's going to be an issue with mm -hmm. having to kill people that look like your friends. Yeah. And the cabin feverness, the mm -hmm. like trusting no one, and are people being distrusting or are they being actually reasonably evil? cautious? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So that's a, but that was kind of the first instance of like okay, we're going to have to kill our friends. I don't feel like they went super hard on any of the things I was expecting. Yeah. But that, and I think, is that the one where Gary, the like leader is like, but he's my friend. I've known him for years. Yes, and exactly. And that's the only time that really comes up because there was mm -hmm. one thing about John Carpenter that I think does not necessarily hold up for all audiences today is that he does make very macho movies. Mm. And this movie is very macho. It's got testosterone every, like all over yeah. the place. And I think that is partly a result of just the fact that it's an all-male cast. Mm -hmm. There's not a single female in the entire film. But also, from what I understand, when they were doing the location shooting, there was only one woman on the crew, and then like a week into shooting, she found out that she was pregnant, and so she left. Oh, and so it was wild. an all-male experience for like the weeks and weeks that they were out there oh. in Alaska uh, shooting this movie. So it's like, very yeah, it's macho. a very testosterone-driven experience <laughs> that I think translates into the film. So less of the, this is my friend. Gary does say that, but like mm -hmm. that doesn't really come up as much. Everybody else is just like, 
It's like, I would just assume kill this guy's look at him. Yeah, like the distrust comes in very quickly. They really, there are some moments that you, they like kind of acknowledge the humanity mm -hmm. of like, oh, like you killed somebody and you're not totally sure they right. weren't still exactly. human. But it's never dwelled about. Like it's that. It's more I, to, I was it's more to make somebody by. else feel guilty than anyone actually feeling bad about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Guess that makes you a murderer. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. It's just like trying to get some get care. under somebody's skin. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So at this point, they're they watch the tape. Which, mm. if you've ever seen a horror movie, never watch the tape. Um, but they find out that the Norwegians basically discovered this big thing in the ice. They go back to that spot. They find this gargantuan flying saucer in the mm. ice, and they estimate it's been there for like a hundred thousand years. Um, and they realize that this is actually something from another planet or something. Um, and then with this knowledge, Blair truly loses it. He goes bananas. He destroys the controls in the helicopter. He destroys all the communication equipment. They lock him in the tool shed. Um, out of sight, out of mind. They let him just cool off for a little while. Yeah. Um, Which that, I kind of like the lines in there too. Of like, He's like, half of you guys don't even know what's going on anytime. Like, he's like <laughs> ranting as he's destroying things. And yep. it is kind of, like if you actually listen to what he's saying, it sounds like just anybody bitching about their job. I'm just right. like, you knuckleheads don't even understand like what should be going on here. How are you going to deal with something that shouldn't be going on yeah, here? Yeah, exactly. That, that kind of exacerbated older gentlemen. Yeah, which I think that, you know, again, one of the unspoken things, like I said, these guys aren't the scientists and researchers that are, like, working on this station. Mm -hmm. They're, like, the, you know, the roughnecks that are hired, basically, like, we need a pilot, get some pilots. We need a radio guy, get the radio guy. We need a, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's interesting. We need a cook. It's like, like I said, it's the people that are there for, like, the essential only functions. Mm -hmm. um, Who doesn't mind living in Antarctica for a couple months over the winter? <laughs> right. Yeah, Triple so. overtime, yeah, whatever. Um, but at this point, there's also a uh, power blip, and Fuchs, the, uh, one of the other guys in glasses, this whole cast is like a game of guess who, where it's like, is he bald? Yes. Does he have a beard? Yes. <laughs> Does he have glasses? Yes. Nose ring? Okay, that's the doctor. That, and there were so many scenes that were like reliant on like, where's Childs? Where's Fuchs? Yes. Where's, and I was like, shoot, which one is, is that not... Is that right. that one? Exactly. That, yeah. Wait, I thought we just saw. Nope, don't know who that is. Uh -huh. So I, I needed like a, a face sheet the whole time of like, ah, okay, yes, that's. And it, yeah, and it's that it does not get that much easier <laughs> no. with rewatches, I would say. Um, but anyway, uh, Fuchs ends up trailing this guy outside, and he loses him. But what he finds is a torn up flight suit with McCready's name on it. So Ooh. Kurt Russell is now suspect number one. Um, and I did wonder this whole movie, like, is it going to be Kurt Russell? Because it uh -huh. seemed like a pretty safe bet that it wasn't. Right. Like, clearly, we're going to follow Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. But I, this move, I was like, okay, either at this point, okay, if that's going to happen, it absolutely can't be him. Mm -hmm. But the alien's smart enough to frame yeah. him, which is fascinating. Right. So the idea is that when the alien absorbs another person's being, it also absorbs their consciousness and their memory, so it becomes mm. a perfect replication. So if it absorbs a person that knows MacReady and knows how to frame MacReady, the alien subsequently will know how to do that. So again, not explicitly shown in the film or explained in the film, but that's the idea here. And so MacReady ends up being locked outside, probably going to freeze to death. It's a miracle he doesn't have frostbitten falling off fingers or anything mm -hmm. like that because they say it's like 150 below zero. Um, oh, yeah. But he breaks back in with dynamite and a flamethrower, which is a power move if I've ever seen yeah. one. It's like... Oh, that's survival instinct. Lock me outside, okay. <laughs> um, and this kind of, you know, so now it's McCready against everyone else. Everyone thinks he's the thing. He's like, no, I'm not, you idiots. If I was, I'd just kill all of you right now. Mm. And so while they're having this argument, this heated argument, uh, Norris has a heart attack and dies. 
Mm. And oh, was it a heart attack? Because he like pushed him off, and I was like, did he run into something? Did I he think, fall on something? Okay. I thought it was a heart attack, okay, but I, it, it could be. We more, never see a wound, but we, I was yeah. just kind of like, whoa, what? He's dead. It was abrupt. It was abrupt. <laughs> okay. So they put him on the table and use the defibrillator on him. And this is probably the most famous part of the entire movie. So while they're all shouting at each other, and there's a person having to be resuscitated, they put the paddles on him, nothing. Put them back on, his chest cavity opens like jaws and bites off the guy's arms, and all hell breaks loose. That and must have been the scene that I've seen from something. Like, that. that is... It's gotta be. That was the yeah. most like arresting scene in the whole movie. Because that one is like the one that really comes out of nowhere. It's not really telegraphed. It really is just like, whoa, what yeah. is this? And it keeps going. And this is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. It's like the tension's already high. Everybody's yelling at each other. This guy's got a flamethrower and dynamite over here. And this guy just had a heart attack. And on top of all that, when you're least expecting it, the body transforms into an alien. <sighs> and it's insane the 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 other head shoots out of the torso oh, yeah. and then the real head starts like pulling itself off of the body the, the head is pulling itself off of the body yeah. falls onto the floor and then rolls over shoots a tentacle out of its mouth to like wrap around a table leg and then sprouts these weird long bug legs um, so they, they, they torch it with a flamethrower, which, is this the part, I, I've seen this movie so many times, I can't remember, is this the part where he tries to shoot the flamethrower, but it's like added gas or something like that? Where it gets a couple of like, a couple of like squirts of flame out and then like nothing happens no, and they gotta get a second one? That's when they're doing the blood test, because they have the that's, two yes, flamethrowers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. That's right. Um, that, oh my gosh, just, the transformation, and there's so much excellent like model work of right. like actors' faces but like contorted into these weird alien uh -huh. and like looking just very like grotesque. Mm -hmm. And it's so impressive. Just yeah. so interesting. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just like, it's like being inside of someone's imagination. Yes. Just wild. It's a but, total like cosmic horror nightmare scenario, like hellscape creature. Yeah. But what I was telling you earlier to prep you for this, because I know how you look at movies, <laughs> yeah. was that like, it's all extreme and looks really gory. But when, the thing that like clicked with me when I was watching this movie is like, oh, no, this is just, this alien is not in pain while this is happening necessarily. Mm. This alien is just trying to get the hell out of there and survive yeah. uh, in any way possible. And the fact that it looks terrifying to us is probably a defense mechanism. Like, it's mm. like a spider. They're more scared of us than we are of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it, it, like that particular scene is so effects heavy and the effects are so effective and really just impressive looking that it's like every time I watch it, I'm like, how the hell do they do this? Like, it's impossible to imagine a 21-year-old child conceiving of the mechanics of this, let alone the design. Yeah, the mechanic, because it's like the design, you're like, eh, okay, all right, yeah, 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 I can see. Legs and tentacles but, yeah. and a gut the mouth. And... Weird. Yeah, the, the gut eats the hands and, um, oh, I keep losing my train of thought. Um, yes, the that whole scene, Disgusting, but so good. Oh man, I really can't think of it. I'm losing it. Uh oh. Um. Anyway, continue on with what you were gonna say. Um. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there's a great, there's a great line. Okay. There's a great part. Like after they torch the body, they've nobody has seen the head roll off, and there's a great shot of like over 
McCready's shoulder. Like, you see his face, and then it's like a split diopter shot where, like, mm. it's a high angle, and you see the door behind him. And the head with the bug legs, it's terrifying when you see it the first time, but by, like, the fifth or sixth time you see this movie, it's kind of funny because the, the head's just trying to be like, oh, let me scoot on out of here <laughs> yeah. real quick before anybody sees me. And uh, yeah, and then like the uh, the one guy, he he looks over and he's like, "Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding!" Oh, great use so... of that. It's like a precision <laughs> f bomb strike, yeah. and they turn around and they're all just like, "Are you serious?" And then torch the torch the head. It becomes a spider. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, and that was just that was a good one. That was a good use of effects. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say about your um your warning me about some of the score. <laughs> I think what you originally said was the dogs the dog aren't in stuff. paint. Yeah. But also yeah. what we didn't mention in that uh, Blair going crazy scene is he takes an axe to all the dogs. I forgot about that. We don't see I forgot about it that. happen. I mean, it's obviously puppets too. Like none of that, none of that bothered me. What bothered me the most, what was like the most pulling at my heartstrings was a couple of the men in the cast just had sad eyes. They did have sad eyes. <laughs> and it killed me. The guy, so, who, the guy who tended the dogs had He was sad eyes. heartbroken, for sure. Oh, and he was so sad. He sees the dogs and, like, he doesn't do anything, but, like, he just has sad eyes. Yeah. And then Gary has sad eyes, too. And he, like, yeah. steps yes. down. And uh, the two of them, like, anytime anything happened, I was just like, oh, poor dude. Yeah, oh, it's sweeties. true. Um, so at this point, they're like, all right, we got to cut straight to the chase here. Let's do this blood test thing. So... I can't remember who very originally. Very smart. It's a very smart idea. I don't idea. know if I could have thought of that under pressure. I think it was, I can't remember, I, I want to say it was Blair maybe. It was either Blair or the doc who originally came up with the blood test idea, I think. Well, um, uh, McCready is the first, the one who says it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, he yeah. said something about, because he was like, yeah, it came to me when I saw the head because every part of this organism yes. is its own organism. Right. So, so I think he came up with it, which was my, I was like, oh, he's smart. Because up to this point, he'd been kind of in charge and he had delegated a lot. And I was like, okay, so he's not like, he's not like the mastermind, but uh -huh. he is decisive. Yeah. But then he came up with this idea and it was like, oh, he's smart. Yeah. So, and the idea being like, we'll draw everyone's blood. And if it is regular human blood, uh, we'll, we'll draw everyone's blood and then put like a hot needle in it, like a hot paper clip or whatever into it. And if it's human blood, it won't do anything. But if it's thing blood, it'll act defensively. Mm -hmm. And so nobody knows for sure if it's going to work. But uh, he ties everyone up on the couch in the rec room. And this is a very tense scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. McCready's still got his dynamite and his flamethrower. And he tests one person's blood in the Petri dish, puts in the hot paper clip, nothing happens. So he unties that guy, gives him the flamethrower. Mm. So now we got two known people, but we still don't know for a fact that this is working. And, and he actually didn't test himself yet. He did not test so himself. So he knows that he's not a thing. Right. We don't really know he's not a thing. We assume he's not a thing, yeah. but, and nobody else knows that he's a thing. Exactly. But he doesn't test himself first. Which he, doesn't test, he does not test himself first, but he does test himself, and he's like, I'm not, he's like, now I'm gonna prove what I already know. Mm -hmm. And he does and he does the test on himself, nothing happens. And everyone's still skeptical, like, yeah, bullshit. You must be a thing because there's no way, blah, blah, blah. Like, right, obviously. we haven't seen the test work. Exactly. And so then it's, because it's at this point, it's Childs, played by Keith, uh, Keith David, mm -hmm. Gary, the like Navy, uh, Navy guy, the guy who like, had the revolver who like gives up command. Mm -hmm. And then, sad eyes. yeah, sad eyes. And then um, the kind of burnout stoner guy that we had seen before. Like those are the three guys tied hilarious. to the couch currently, yeah. Um, yeah, the, he, he, the guy had the great line at the beginning, like, yeah, hey, th th thanks for thinking about it though. Like, yeah. Um, anyway, so he, tests that guy's blood first and 
the blood leaps out of the Petri dish and crawls away, basically. Oh. And the guy starts transforming on the couch as he's tied to Gary and Childs. And they're all freaking out. It's amazing. It's like one of the best sustained freakout scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Where like Childs and Gary are both trying to scoot as far away from him while tied to him. They're trying to scoot away and they can't. Um, and meanwhile, he's got spaghetti tentacles flapping oh, around yeah. and his face starts stretching out. And eventually he... Like bands, right? Yeah. Like bands involved. It's crazy. It's, but yeah. He, uh, he, he busts loose, shoots up to the ceiling... And they, that's when they try to torch him, which we've already established works. They try to torch him with a flamethrower, but the flamethrower is out of juice. And so they got to get a second flamethrower is what they, they... And didn't it attacks Childs, right? Or not Childs, sorry. Uh, who did he untie first? Nulls. 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 It attacks... The guy oh, with the roller skate. Roller skate the guy. The roller skate guy, yeah. So it attacks him. Mm -hmm. So the one working flamethrower is now, you know, out of commission right. because... Uh, Knowles is attacked, and yeah, and uh, McCready's is not working. Right, so. yeah. So anyway, they ended up dispatching it. I, I, I just watched this last night. How did they kill that one? That one? I don't remember now. Didn't the flamethrower end up working? Yeah. Oh yeah, because they got the second one. They got the second one, and they torch him with that one. Mm -hmm. um, but then they end up doing the blood test on on Childs and Gary, and they're both like Ch Childs first, and so we get that great reverse shot of like Childs, Nulls, and McCready all standing, and then Gary still tied to the couch with his sad yeah. eyes. Chest is blood, he's good, and then Gary has his one moment of like losing his temper. It's like, oh yeah. I, I'll play. I'll play the clip in the episode because it's such a good line delivery. It's like, if you guys don't, like, mind. I know if you, you gentlemen. I know you've been through a lot. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. He calls him gentleman at yeah. one point. I was like, ooh, that's a dad move. <laughs> and then he just loses it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so now at this point, they go to check on Blair. Blair is no longer in the shed. Mm -hmm. But what they do find in the shed is a big tunnel dug underground that has a spaceship built out of garbage. Yeah. Um, which sounds like I'm oversimplifying, but that is literally what they find. They find a spaceship built out of garbage that they assume the thing is going to use to leave Antarctica and spread to the rest of the planet Earth. Yes. Um... And this begins the kind of, they are all sort of resigned to their fate. They accept that they are going to die, but they are going to take the thing down with it. So they destroy the rest of the, 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 the camp. What were you going to so say? The, so, and at this point, they had found out, did they find out about the generators now? No, because they're in Blair's and Childs is staying behind. Well, Childs like goes rogue and they lose him. Right. He's like run off and they're like, where's Childs? Like, what's he doing? Mm -hmm. um, so he like, kind of disappears and then the generators get cut off. Right. Um, which then they're like, oh no, the thing knows that it can survive in a dormant state if it's frozen. So it knows that we cannot do that. So it's gonna, its best bet right now is to freeze us out and wait for a rescue team to come. Mm -hmm. And which is very astute, very smart yeah. on both parts. Um, and so they're like, all right, well, let's just burn this whole freaking thing down and take it with us, because if we're going to die, we're not going to let this thing get away. Yeah. Um, so they proceed to start dynamiting and torching the entire research station. And as they're doing that, this, like, because this is where, similar to paranormal activity, everything is starting to ramp up. Yes. And so we see Blair... Like grab Gary by the face. Yes, and down like, in, the, put, in the tunnel. Yeah, so he's like, you know, everyone kind of ends up splitting up. They're all putting dynamite out, and they've established that like you can't be 
basically if you're alone with the thing, it uh -huh. will attack you. But if you're with other people, it, it doesn't won't want to risk being itself. exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So there, they kind of end up peeling off from each other, of course. Um, but it shows up. This is like where the jump scares happen. Like yeah. 90% of the jump Down scares in this that happen tunnel in the movie. underneath yeah. the tool shed where the spaceship is. Yeah. In the last like 10 minutes mm -hmm. of the movie. But so yeah, he, Gary shows up or Blair shows up over Gary's shoulder, grabs him by the face and like is like inside of his skin. Yeah. Oh, it's so he, like weird. sticks his fingers into the flesh of his face. It's yeah. really gnarly. Oh. And then even scarier than I, that I thought was in the background you see him drag Gary. Yes. At one point like right after that. Ooh, it was so spooky. Yeah, it but was nuts. so they all get attacked, and um, basically at this point it comes down to just Nalls and McCready, right. and they're like, "Where's Gary? Too late. Can't worry about him." And so they're gonna set it all off, and then then this is when like the the thing starts to like grow and transform and reveal itself, and uh, it. The one stop motion shot, I think, is when the tentacle shoots out and grabs the plunger for the for the the bombs, oh, uh -huh. and it shoots out of like the ground and, and does that, and then uh, yeah, um, and pulls it down. So they're like, well, what are we gonna do now? Um, so they go old school. McCready is like, all right, I'm just gonna Molotov cocktail this place, see what happens, and then we see the final big look at the thing is that it's in this weird like eldritch abomination form with a mouth on the side of his head and everything and like a dog body coming out it's of like it almost all forms. like a werewolf yeah, yeah it's like all forms at once and just trying to like you know it's 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 man versus thing and uh McCready's big send off yeah fuck you too and he throws the molotov cocktail and tries to blow the thing up and he gets out as the whole place is coming down um, Nalls, not so lucky. Oof. Um, Poor kid. And, and then the whole camp is burning. The thing has presumably been killed. And then who's left with McCready but Childs? The camp is burning. They're on a limited timetable. They know they're both about to die. And it's just these two guys. Childs, where's he been? What's he been doing? Is he a thing? Has he gone rogue? McCready, where's he been? What's he been up to? Is he a thing? Are they both things? Are they both human? Who knows? And it just kind of ends there. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. And they even, I mean, in a very macho move, they both acknowledge it. They're just like, well, I don't, I don't know what you are, and like, yeah. you don't know what I am, but, and they're just both kind of laying there. I'm assuming very injured. They're probably, Either that or very cold. They're hurt bad. They're yeah. really cold. Like, as soon as All the, of the above. The little heat from fire that's burning down their camp is probably like barely keeping it above freezing for them, so... Yeah. It's a it's a really bleak ending, but it's also yeah. like a really like you said like a super macho ending. It's like it's basically like the, the Mexican standoff until death kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much it. Um, and there's lots of theories at the for, about the ending about who's mm -hmm. a thing. And I think that the one of my favorite fan theories. I know these are substantiated. I think sure. it's meant to be 100% ambiguous. But my favorite fan theory is that. McCready hands the bottle to Childs to take a drink from it. And then when he hands the bottle back, McCready kind of like chuckles to himself. And I think the, the fan theory is that that was one of the Molotov cocktails. And so it's full of like gasoline. But the thing doesn't know what people eat and drink. And so it drank it and didn't react. And McCready now knows that's not a person. That's an alien. Wow. Okay. I could I can believe that. Yeah. I did When he handed the bottle, I was like, that's going to be poison or something. Mm -hmm. or like there's something sneaky. This this definitely seems like a movie that Reddit has a lot of thoughts about. Oh, so yeah. I will definitely be deep diving. Yeah, I, it was a good ending, but I'm sure I'm sure people have oh yeah gone full Game of Thrones on it. Um, but yeah, so that's the movie. And like you know, a couple things I just want to touch on because we're already pretty over time here. But like, um, I 
thought it was interesting when I realized that this movie, you know, this movie coming out in the early 80s about a bunch of men being paranoid about some kind of thing infecting them. I was like, this could very easily be like read as like kind of an AIDS metaphor. Mm. That early 80s time period when it was something that they don't fully understand. They don't know exactly how it transmits, but they know it's affecting men. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is a group of men who don't know who to trust amongst each other. I mean, it's not a perfect one-to-one, -one, but I do think it's kind of an interesting timing for a story like this to be interesting. Yeah. into a movie. I, I think possible to read that for sure. I mean, you know, looks just like us and like yep. you wouldn't know from the outside no way that. to tell like, until it's too late yeah yeah oh, only jumps from one to one when they're alone mm. i mean that's a little bit of a stretch but i think that that's a you know fair yeah you know? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, interesting yeah um yeah, and then also just the fact that throughout this movie, there's lots of very suspicious and unexplained behavior from almost every character, so you really yeah. don't know. Like, you get a lot of point-of-view shots from non-main characters of main characters doing things. I was like, that's really strange. What's he doing out there? Yeah, they don't really explain things that... They do a good job of kind of building up the distrust mm -hmm. of, like, why you would believe that anybody could... You know, people are doing inexplicable, inexplicable things, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. And they don't do a lot of like giving you the explanation why, so right. that you believe. So yeah, you're you're just as in the dark as a minor character, yeah. like even more so than the major characters. And that's a thing that a lot of movies never do, like before yeah. or since. It's like a really unique thing that I think is is really effective in this movie because like you don't really get the point of view of a minor character observing the suspicious behavior of a major character that often. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then also just like one last uh, big thing that I wanted to mention was the uh, the beautiful photography by Dean Cundey in this mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. Like it, the, the photography kind of like it serves the narrative so well that you often don't really notice it. But there's a lot of really cool effects with like colored lighting mm -hmm. that is diegetic, like very like blue lighting and orange lighting, and even a little bit of green when McCready's in the in his room at the beginning of the movie oh, from yeah. the computer screen. Um, but it really adds a lot of good atmosphere and you know the way that it, it kind of gives you the whole camp, mm -hmm. the interior, from the dog's perspective, from the dog's like low oh, yeah. point of view. Really good camera work and like mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the, the the longer, very subtle tracking shots of like showing everyone's faces as they kind of shifty-eyed at each other. Really great. I, yeah. I, I think it's like one of those things that's like, you know, it holds up more on repeat viewings um, than at the very beginning. Yeah, I think I would totally enjoy watching this one again. It's one of those movies you like get more out of every time you watch it. I can... I can imagine. I would say, yeah. Um, well, I'm really glad you liked it, actually. I'm, I'm surprised. I thought this was one that could go either way. Mm. I really did think that you might come back and be like, this was too much. <laughs> no, it was too much in the perfect way. It was oh, too good, much good. In, in a way that kind of took down the scare factor because there was so much, like, interesting to follow and that was going on just visually. And, you know, it, it was campy in the best way, like, mm -hmm. in a very enjoyable, interesting-to-watch way. Yeah, good. I liked it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Um, well, cool. Any other any other closing thoughts before we get to your three-sentence review here? Um, we didn't mention how horrifying it was. The first, like, real alien attack is on... Don't remember his name, but the guy that we see, like, the long hands yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean, besides the dog one, which, of course, was horrifying. But, yeah. um, and he, like, they walk in the room and he is, like completely constricted by the spaghetti and it's like yeah. going in his mouth and just that was like the probably the most effective like use of the puppet and the uh -huh. alien like you didn't see too much to feel like oh, okay you know it's, it's getting a little puppety but it was like 
those like sl- yeah, like the slithery tentacles, and like he's he is dead, and he's, this thing is just oh. integrating his body at this point. Ooh, it, yeah, and you're his right. face is just like so like mm-hmm. just shocked, and you're and you're not totally sure he's dead. Like I wasn't sure yeah. he was dead when you saw that, so it was whew, that was intense. But yeah, overall, a lot of really memorable visuals. Good, yeah, um, cool, awesome. Well, without further ado, let's have your uh, three sentence review. Yeah, so. Uh, where most horror movies are so afraid of crossing from scary to cheesy that they seem to be hiding from the monsters themselves, John Carpenter's The Thing is not afraid to look straight at the action. The bold practical effects that may not pass the Turing test anymore, but they are fun to watch. As, of course, is Kurt Russell in all things. <laughs> I love Kurt Russell. He's great. He's so good. I mean, Have we barely talked him? about him. Uh, yeah, I know. And I, it was so funny watching this because this is the first like young Kurt Russell thing I've watched mm-hmm. in a while. And I have been watching, I feel like Wyatt um, Russell Wyatt has Russell, been yeah. showing up in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was watching Lodge 49, uh, check Lodge it out, 49. it's a good show. Yeah, and it was just so wild to watch like young Kurt Russell and be like, oh my God. Like yeah. they have the same face and hair, yeah. just in different colors. Yeah, it, yeah it's, but they're both great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Wyatt uh, personally and mm-hmm. uh, love uh, ragging on one of our coworkers for being a carbon copy clone of Wyatt Russell, in oh, my opinion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad someone's. Yeah, no, for sure. I've, I've mentioned that to him many, many times. <laughs> and he knows who he, he knows. Oh, who yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. He embraces it. He, uh, uh, he should. Say, I mean, he, he's not he a bad he, person to look He like. said he might come to our office uh, Christmas party dressed as McCready from The Thing. Amazing. Which would be Maybe great. Maybe our Halloween party, not our Christmas no, party. Uh, but. Cr- Halloween party, <laughs> whatever. Anyway. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, Sweet. Awesome. Well, that's going to pretty much bring us to the end of our uh, 2019 Halloween special. Um, But yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, we kind of talked at the beginning about like some of the unifying themes between these two movies. And I think that like, you know, it's obviously, like I said, not a one to one, but I mean, this makes for a pretty solid double. I, I, you know, they're both not that long. They're both about 90 minutes each. Um, You know, it's a good, you know, I think that they're very, they approach very similar ideas very differently. I think that's what makes them an interesting pair. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I I would highly recommend both of these in the Halloween season. Um, e- they're both easy to find. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like emblematic of their time, yeah. of, of, a, of a trend, of a movement. Very much. And like just in general, they're, they're movies that I, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about movies that very few people have seen or were underseen. This is a case where we have both had blind spots for movies that are pretty popular and well known. And yeah. so, like, if you, listener, have not seen either of these movies or for perhaps bo- either of them, both of them, either of them, whatever, please do yourself a favor. This is the perfect time to watch these movies. These are good movies. Yeah, whether you love horror movies or not, take mm-hmm. it from us. Totally. Awesome. Well, that's going to bring us to the end and the end of this season of K. Have you seen? So oh, the as part, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, never fear. We uh, always are. You know, we we are creative types. We like to make stuff for people. So you know, we'll be we'll be back, and uh, we can't wait to uh, give you more. St- can't wait for you to listen to us talk once again in the future. So yeah. until then, Kari, it has been. A lovely season, as always. Thank you so much for being my co-host. And to you, another wonderful season of some really interesting, great movies. And, uh, yeah, perhaps we will be back with a, uh, a Christmas special. Ooh, another holiday tie-in. Yeah, I can't, uh, can't pass that up, pass that up uh, ever. Uh, so, yeah, sweet. All right, well, thank you once again for joining us. This has been K. Have You Seen? I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And we'll see you later. See ya.